0: to the Off-Track Podcast. I am your host, Matt Asheen. Thank you for pulling your chair up to the table. It is a pleasure to have you here with us. No questions about it. We love having you guys here each and every week. So, But before we get into it tonight, a quick programming note. Now, we are going to be taking a week off next week. Uh, as you, many of you know, we are all collegiate coaches. We have a busy schedule. Uh, there's always something going on, whether you're hosting a meet, traveling to a meet, and then you got family life and everything that's been going on. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to take a week off. So we're dropping this one today on the 21st of March. We'll come back on April 4th. We've got the guests lined up. We've got already, everything already set and ready to go for you. Uh, we just need to record and, get and talk through things. But as a panel, we decided that, hey, you know what? We need a week off. And uh, that can kind of happen when you're rocking and rolling as well as we are so but without further ado we have the incredible honor let's get to the guest tonight of course but without further ado uh, we have Kelly Sullivan he pulls a chair to the table right after practice we're so appreciative he'd be willing to do that right after he got done with practice with us um, and we sit down with Kelly we talk about the impact that the great Mel Rosen had on him and man, he's got some incredible lessons to learn from him uh, we, we talk about what has made him so successful going from program to program uh we talk about how he built Oregon State from scratch to uh the program he ended up handing off uh to Louis Quintana. And then we also talk about the power of a hat and a t-shirt. Yes, the hat and a t-shirt. That is something uh, very, very powerful. So sit back, relax, pull a chair to the table. This is Kelly Sullivan. And all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the off-track podcast. It is great to have you back tonight. We have an incredible guest with us. We have the absolute legendary uh, Kelly Sullivan is on. He's joining us from Seattle. U. just came out of practice. We're excited to have him, but as soon as we get to his let's get to him in a second. We, uh, we've added another panelist. Again, everybody is kind of crazy with the way things are going right now. We switched our nights so that we had to record just due to you know the way things are, St. Patty's Day in the middle of the week. So, um, But just coming back off of uh, some of the NCAA championship indoors, not the, not the performance he was looking for, but at the same time, a quality performance uh, by his athletes as well how you doing man
1: doing good uh you know the moving into monday night actually worked for me because i had to miss the last uh, few for being out of town and and whatnot and stuff so i'm excited to be back on here and um you know excited to have a great conversation
0: Man, it's it's great to have you back. I know you've had a busy last few weeks, no questions about it, but hey, you had some good last few weeks. And then uh, fresh off an outdoor meet, you know, hilariously enough, you had indoor championships this weekend. We had a cross country national championship, and then we had some schools. Uh Kelly was one of them, but of course, Darren was the other one out at uh, outdoor meet. Darren, how you doing? How'd the meet go?
2: It's good, man. It's good. It's nice and hot in Texas man, and starting to blaze the track up a little bit, so it's good. We, yeah, we had a pretty good weekend. You know, it's a little surprising after so much time off, but I think the kids are just so excited to compete and they just mm-hmm. get out there and they're like, we get a chance, we get a shot. They just go for it. So it was, it was a lot of fun.
0: Good. I mean, you guys were at Rice. Am I correct on that? They got a few meets. Yeah, we,
2: well, we were at, we were at Texas actually oh, before I'm sorry. that. Yeah. We were, okay. we we're at Texas on the weekend, had some good performances there. We took a select few people and then we took our whole squad to Rice like three days later. So, I mean, it, it beat us up pretty good as coaches as far as being on our feet all day, traveling back and forth, but uh, that's, that's the sport, right? That's what we live for.
0: That's a sport, but uh, absolutely. And, and uh, as we said, we've got uh, the great uh, Kelly Sullivan on with us. Uh, Kelly, you guys just got back. We just finished up practice. No questions there. Uh, And then the, what, you guys had to meet this weekend. Uh, Tell us about that, how to
3: go. And thanks for, thanks for joining us tonight. Well, it's great, great being on. And thanks for inviting me. We uh, went down to Oregon state and the weather was warm down there for us. It was 61 degrees, Darren, and uh, <clears throat> that's, that's literally the warmest it's been in 2021 so far, but kids had a great trip. It was just fun to get out of town, um, give them a little bit of normalcy, and, um, you know, and it was a five-way meet. Oregon State did a great job putting the meet on and came back with a lot of smiles, so that was success in itself.
0: That's the best part. If you can do that, especially after a long time off, I know you guys didn't participate in indoors. Uh, so to be able to get rock and rolling is awesome. Uh, <laughs> real quick, before we get to dive into Coach Sullivan, his background, how he got to, we got some incredible things to, to go over with him. Um, but we had the... Uh, The most jam packed weekend I've ever seen. I think anybody else, any of us have ever seen in the history of collegiate track and field and cross country. You know, Friday and Saturday were D1 and D2 national championships. Uh, Wartburg hosted a D3 elite meet, which, uh, from what I saw, actually went off really well. Wartburg, thanks for putting that one on. Big shout out there. D2 had some incredible performances and some races, but D1. Every time indoors, and you guys saw some of these performances, love to hear what you think. Every time we turned around, there's a new It seemed like a new record. You had a, a 706 and the women's 60. I can't remember the Oregon uh, uh, woman that that set that. Seven, wait a minute, 705? Okay. I believe it was 705, wasn't it? Seven, did I say 760?
1: 705, 706, somewhere. It was super fast either way.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I, if I said 760, I completely apologize. I knew it was 705 or 706. I knew that because 760, it's fast, but it's not that fast. Um, and then what do we see the DMR? We saw what I think what North Carolina on the men's side was fourth and like nine twenty-five, which sets the American collegiate record, uh, which is kind of entertaining knowing our sport, you know, all four Americans with that. But at the same time, like nine was 919, something like that. 917 won it. I mean, that is just, holy cow. Every time we turned around, uh, there's some incredible Scott, wasn't there some incredible field events? My, am I correct on this too?
1: You know, I, you know, I, I, I look at that meet or watch that meet and, you know, I was there, And I just got to give a a big shout out to Tyra Giddens from Texas A&M. What an amazing athlete and coach Brady and the whole staff there at Texas A&M have done. I mean, that girl wins the pentathlon Mm
4: -hmm. and
1: with a collegiate record over 4,700 points comes back and wins the high jump the next day. And then an hour and a half later places third in the long jump. I mean, it's just what a workhorse and what an amazing talent i mean that was that was just unbelievable to to see that and then you know obviously you had you know javon harrison from lsu with the you know winning the um the high jump with a a 230 i think and then coming back and you know jumping uh, you know, really far in the long jump. So to win that event. So, I mean that in the field events, it was, you know, pretty spectacular. And I, and I know I'm missing something. I know there were some, some other great performance.
2: Collegiate rec. Wasn't there a collegiate record in the women's long jump?
1: Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. It was massive,
2: right? Like that was that was super impressive. 22
1: something. Six
2: eighty-six, almost six ninety, wasn't it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we're we're talking about indoors, but you know, these are some marks that are going to contend for you know medals at the Olympics and stuff. You know, I mean, well,
2: wouldn't wouldn't we say at this point that the Division One Indoor Track and Field Championship is one of the top, one probably one of the top five meets in the world. Yeah, I don't know how you cannot
1: say. that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's the amount of talent you have there from, you know, across the all the different events. It's you know, it's like... yeah, from uh, from, from from across
2: the, the spectrum of events. Like,
1: yeah, it's a uh, uh, the level is unreal. unreal. Oh, it's like and it's like a you know a you a preview of what to what to expect at the Olympics this year. You know, you're going to see, you know, so many of those athletes, you know, competing for their for their countries and their in their events and stuff. So it's you know, if you, if you love this sport, this was a great weekend for it. Well, and yeah. I think the hard part for those collegians
2: is just to be able to hang on for that long. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they, they can do it. It's just, it's tough.
0: We I think we would be remiss not to uh, bring up Texas A&M's four by four that were 326, uh, 68. And it was the second fastest time in collegiate history, if I'm not mistaken, but then forty nine fifty four uh, for, for, uh, I'm going to script up that for, for, for a thing, a thing move. A thing move. I didn't want to screw it up. And I've been known to butcher some names before, but 49, 54. And actually, uh, Cherokee young heard the, the second split was 50.97. I mean, so my goodness, a 50 point and a 49 point. I'm not sure. Indoors, <laughs> indoors, <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is blazing right there. Uh, good night. And then, you know, and then let's come back. And then we so let's fast forward again, two days to the NCAA championships in cross country, uh, over at Stillwater and, my goodness. I mean, the course looked gorgeous. I know Dave Smith raved about the footing. I remember running there actually when I was a sophomore in high school, excuse me, sophomore in college, I ran there for the uh, NCAA Midwest regional and it was, it was not fun. I remember Dave It's Smith a tough being, course, man. Yeah. That's a tough, tough course. Dave was yelling at me because I was going up a hill and I had wood chips stuck to my spike and he was yelling to the guy next to him. He's got a spike. He's got a spike. He's like, I remember the whole thing and uh, we still laugh about it to this day, but that looked beautiful. It looked like they did an incredible job. Hats off to Arkansas, of course, for hosting a great me in Oklahoma State for doing that. But how about the fact of, I think something that has to be at least mentioned, what do we have? Four of the top five teams on the women's side, all coached by women. That was that was pretty incredible, and it just just kind of shows the depth in the way that you know these these incredible women are, are coaching these teams. I mean, uh, G. Taylor and BYU to pick up the W, NC State was second, uh, Lori right there. Hines did a great job, and then I think what fourth and fifth, uh, Lisa and I forget it. I'm just gonna go Senekovich because I forgot what the maiden name is right now. Uh, and then fifth place was Sarah uh, Hopkins out of Minnesota. So I mean, an, an incredible job by those guys. Stanford was third, but you know that was an incredible meet. And the meet itself was great. It looked awesome flow track the results were great during that flow track uh, pt timing did you guys get a chance to watch ESPNU? coach did you guys watch ESPNU and watch the coverage at all how uh, you're shaking your head how how was that coverage i didn't get a chance to because apparently spectrum doesn't have ESPNU. the package i have so what do you think of the coverage
3: i mean i i watched it i thought they did a pretty good job they had a little bit of technical difficulty um in their first first race but then after that they did a they did a fantastic job um they got interviews done really quickly they got the winners of each race and then they got the teams up there and that course was really cool to see they had um a drone up there and you could like see it from above and so I, they did a really good job and it was nice to see it done live which was a big step so
0: that's a huge step. We know Sam seems more working on that for a long time and and, and big props to him for doing that and the, the coach association to get that done. So I think it showed the value. Again, we've talked a lot about COVID and how it's improved some stuff. Scott, you know, we, you're just talking a couple minutes ago and how we get those five team meets and how it actually makes the six hour day. You know what? That's not too bad for us. You know, it's only about three hours for running events, three hours for the extra on for the field, just to make sure things start safely. But the one thing I saw that was awesome for this season was the, um, that selection show for cross country, just seeing the reactions of the kids and it didn't matter like that right there showed us something I've been preaching for years now, but at the same time, like we need a selection Sunday, we need a selection Monday, put it whatever day you want to do it. We need to be able to put that stuff on there because the kids get excited and it makes it feel like, yes, we are going to the championships If so basketball can do it and volleyball can do it and golf can do it. We can do this as well. So just kind of fun. And yeah, they did a quick five minute thing, but guess what? It didn't take much. It didn't have to. So I thought they did a great job um all right so Good question i i, I ahead, man. how ma- do we know how many kids doubled
2: back from the indoor meet
0: is there a I statistic saw, on that
1: i saw a pretty interesting and this is just on the women's side but i believe it was um uh third was it 13 of the top 40 women had competed at the indoor championships
0: I actually i just took a quick look at this that's, that's impressive I just took a quick look at the Coach Association on Twitter, and they said three women finished in the top eight in Friday's 5K final, and then in the top ten uh, on on Monday at the NCAA Championships. Um, Holla Norris out of uh, Air Force, Hannah Steelman out of uh, NC State, and then Bethany Haas, who who um, you know won the won the Big Ten Championship, was second in the 5K, and then finished eighth in cross country. I mean, that that right there is just three performances as I'm flipping through Twitter just to see what else happens. That's incredible. I mean, you used to be able to do that back in the day, you know, with D1 to D3, but not now anymore. You know, you can't race back to back. So... But coach, let's get you going here a little bit. We could probably sit down and talk about this stuff all day long. Uh, the way it is, you've seen a lot of it. Um, and I know you're a West Coast guy, we've talked before, haven't had the, the pleasure of being able to sit down with you and, and really dig into things. So, uh, if you would, for somebody who doesn't know, uh, I, myself and some others, um, where did you start out? I mean, I know you, I believe you're a West Coast guy up there. Uh, so where did you start out and how did you get into coaching?
3: Um, well, I was born in Montana, and then so I lived there for a number of years, and then we my family bought a dairy farm on the Oregon coast. Um, and I don't recommend owning a dairy farm, by the way. Um, but so I went to a really, really, really small high school on the Oregon coast. And, um, I got introduced to running my sophomore year in high school and they were starting a cross country team and I got talked into, to going out and that's how my introduction to running started. And I spent Two years at Clackamas Community College, um, I went on to Willamette University, and both of those uh, stops along the line, is I also got the opportunity to coach in both of those schools. So I started coaching at Clackamas Community College right after I got out of Willamette. Um, okay. I spent four years at Clackamas. And then um, got hired, went to Auburn for 12 years mm-hmm. and got to work under Mel Rosen, who oh, the great Mel you Rosen. really talk about a legend. When you use the word legend with me, I kind of cringe a lot because um, <clears throat> fortunately I actually got to work, you know, for someone that literally, you know, made a huge difference in the sport. So yeah. I was with Mel for 12 years, actually Harvey Galantz <clears throat> and I. Coached uh, Harvey's first four years um, of college coaching was my last four years at Auburn. So Harvey and I got spent four years together. And then um, I had elderly parents. <clears throat> so after the 96 Olympics in Atlanta, I ended up resigning from Auburn to move. We moved back to Oregon to help take care of my <clears throat> both my elderly parents. Mm-hmm. And they happened to be living in Salem. Okay. So when I left Auburn, I actually left Auburn with no job. I was 39, going on 40.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: <clears throat> and after leaving New Orleans, after two nights in New Orleans, um, with Mike Korn and Sam Seams and all those characters.
0: Oh, man, that's a uh, send-off right there.
3: <clears throat> yeah, I had a nervous breakdown all the way back to Oregon. I was like, I am 39 years old, <clears throat> going on 40, I have no job. And moving back to the Northwest. And so I took a year off, uh, volunteered at Willamette that spring. And then the head track coach at Willamette, um, fortunately for me, decided to resign. Um, on, you know, I didn't know it was going to happen. Um, and then so the job at Willamette came open and spent seven and a half years there, Mm -hmm. which was great because my parents lived with us for that period of time. And then, um, then Oregon State made the announcement of bringing back women's cross country and um, got a phone call and did an interview and met an athletic director that I was incredibly impressed with by the name of Bob Decareless. Um, And, Bob convinced me that even though there hadn't been a track or hadn't been a program for 18 years, and there was no scholarships the first three years, it was one of the worst uh, job descriptions I've ever seen. And um, but because of him and his vision, mm-hmm. um, I decided to <clears throat> uh, step away mid year at Willamette, and then took over at Oregon State and spent 13 years there. and And, um, you know, they got 16 today in the NCAA cross country meet and they had their first um, cross country all American. And so I'm really, you know, we spent seven years building a track, raising about $10 million to build a facility. And Mm -hmm. um, when I left there, they were fully funded with 18 full scholarships. And, and um, I miss coaching men a lot. We, one of the big goals was <clears throat> dreams that we had was was trying to get the men's program back, and there just came a point where that was probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I had a great, great time there and um, got the opportunity to come up here to Seattle and and um, just finishing up three and a half years up here at Seattle University. So in the same conference with Darren, so it's been pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's just- been
2: fun, man. I, I'll be honest, like to come into the WAC and. I I was just, it was so refreshing. Um, I just love the camaraderie of the coaches and not only, not only the camaraderie, but there's just some really, really good coaches in the whack that I, and I don't think people realize um, I didn't realize until I actually got into the conference. Like, man, there are some really good coaches here and just so happens they're really great people, which I, I think is just even more of a bonus.
3: No. And I totally agree. I mean, the bond that we have is a, we started um, meeting this summer. We just kind of did it right, Darren. We yeah, yeah. Came up with the idea. Let's Zoom every couple of weeks and see how everybody's doing. And our and our conference um, administrator got involved, and you know we even had the conference commissioner meet with us a couple times. And um, but it's a really healthy, it's a healthy relationship between all of us and and the coaches. And we've added four more. We're going to add four more universities to the conference next year and and then Southern Utah, which had a great, great day on the men's side. I think they were ninth if I'm not mistaken, they were top ten today. They're gonna to join us two years from now. So um I think Darren would agree with me. Um, you know, we kind of came in here at a great time into this conference because it's it's uh with this growth, you know, Cal Baptist is really made our distance side really good like really quickly
0: amazingly yeah minute. yeah and no doubt both
3: sides and then you throw in southern utah and then you throw in the rest of these other schools and the ones that were already in the conference uh like grand canyon and utah valley and then they've just been doing really well and doug reynolds came in the same year that darren and i did and he's doing an incredible job down in new mexico state so yeah it's going to be fun. It's going to be, gonna
2: really be yeah, it's, it's going to be amazing. I mean, now you've got these like powerhouse Texas schools coming in on the track side, Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin, uh, ACU with their tradition and, uh, Lamar on the distant side will add even more. I think they've made an NCAA championship as well. And, um, uh, I think that what, I, I don't know if it was in within the last 10 years, but they've been pretty good. And, and I just, individuals it's, that g- have
0: been good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's,
2: mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. Uh, just to see where our conference is. So you're going to have to be a a regional caliber type athlete just to score in the conference now. Right.
0: Yeah. So I got to ask, let's, let's get off the whack of the the conference here for a second. Let's go back to the career, the coaching side of it for a second. So you start out at community college uh, and then you work your way up to Willamette and then you go to Auburn. Am I correct on that? One, two, three.
3: I went from Clackamas to Auburn. Yeah. I'm
0: sorry. Yep. Okay. That's not really supposed to happen. Is it? you know, normally there's a no. little bit of a way to do it. How did that happen? How does that go about it?
3: Well, I got hired at Clackamas mainly because of the fact that my two coaches that I competed for, for those two years, i had actually graduated mid-year at Willamette and I was <clears throat> going to start graduate school mm-hmm. in January at Lewis and Clark up in Portland. And they just asked me if I was interested in coming over and help recruit and Coach the distance kids. It was really interesting when I first met with the distance group that fall or that January. I'd raced all of them that fall in cross country because I had spent my fifth year. And so when I walked into the meeting, they were all like looking at me like, "What are you doing here?" And who are you? Yeah. Yeah, and they knew I'd gone to Clackmas and they, you know, they'd run, they had raced against me. And so then Buck, who was a coach, introduced me, and he says, "Kelly's going to take over as the distance." Coach, I was 23 years old, and um, I met with them after, and they're all just kind of like staring at me. And I was like, you know, uh, none of you beat me in this fall, so you have nothing to complain about. You know, no questions. <laughs> and, and that was my introduction to them. And then the four years I spent at Clackamas was unbelievable. And, um, you know, we made a good run at the JEC level. We got second, four, we got fourth twice. The junior college and we got second another time, but I, I knock on, it was unbelievable. I just happened to recruit the right kids and I had some great kids. And mm-hmm. one of them was a kid by the name of Brian Apshire who ended up, you know, making the Olympic team um, eventually in the steeple. And so I had four or five really good recruits okay. and Auburn was looking for a distance coach mm-hmm. and they were recruiting um, a couple of my guys And um, and it's just, I don't know who piggybacked off of who, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to think it was they piggybacked off of me. But I think that the fact that Brian was as good as he was, I mean, John McDonald was recruiting him, you know, of course, Oregon was. And so um, I went to Auburn and uh, took four of my former kids of Clackamas with me. And um, (laughs) and it was, I was 27 and, you know, and looking back on it, it was just, I was just extremely lucky. And then, you know, to end up with Mel Rosen was just, you know, icing on the cake. So
0: I think just by, by hearing that, you definitely they piggybacked like, no, OK, they're going to recruit you. I'm just we're just going to go get you and bring you down here. That, that's exactly.
3: And I had written a letter and mm-hmm. my letter basically, I'm pretty sure it says, you know, I'm looking for a position, whatever. And I got these kids. So, you know, <laughs> I I was recruiting myself as much as.
2: You and sold it, the package. Yeah, you sold the package deal.
3: Yeah, and Auburn went hook, line, and sinker. Fortunately, so it was, it was, it was good for all of us. It was a good deal for all of them. So,
0: did you have a? I'm going to say this, and then probably the answer is yes, but at the same time, I'd love to hear from you. Um, how big of a wake-up call was it coming from? You know, Clackamas down to Auburn, going, "Oh goodness," because uh, uh, you have to. It's a different style. You're up to the Division One. You're doing a lot of those things. What's, what was the diff What were some of the major differences?
3: Yeah, you know, one was indoor, right? Okay. I mean, yeah. Back then, in those days in the north in the Northwest, <clears throat> um, none of the schools actually sponsored indoor track and field, okay. um, or declared it, and um, so there wasn't there wasn't an indoor circuit. Um, even though, like Washington State and those schools would compete at the NCAA indoor meets, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't um, it wasn't big. So, so when I first went down there with the whole idea that you had to you know raise your, I was coaching distance, of course. He had to run cross country Mm -hmm. and then go right into the second week of January. And, you know, and coach Rosen and say, and we raced every weekend. I mean, every weekend we raced and crossed. There was never an off weekend. And every indoor meet, every weekend we went to meets all over the place. And and it was Mel's theory was, is that if I'm going to ask one athlete to go every weekend, then I got to ask everybody to go. So there was never a weekend that my distance kids would ever take off. And um, but, you know, looking back on it, I'm really happy that's how it was because it really it really taught me a lot. I learned a lot about recovery. I learned a lot about training um, preparation. You know, you just you had to put all your eggs into we put a lot of our eggs into indoor and outdoor and kind of use the fall as a buildup because. and then, of course, I was there when John McDonald was coaching at Arkansas, and you know, and I got to watch, you know, that juggernaut with his distance group and the whole track group, and you know, Lance Lance yeah. had gotten hired about the time you know I was there,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, and at Arkansas. So it was, it was, um, you know, and I was there twelve years. It was a, uh, I mean, it was, it was like being on a roller coaster. It was like on a roller coaster ride that after twelve years, it was like, whoa. How did those 12 years go by so fast? And, um, but it was wonderful. Yeah, I would have never changed anything. I learned so much. I met some of the closest friends that I have in my lifetime. I eventually ended up really heavily getting involved in recruiting mm-hmm. of all the event areas. So I got to help recruit the sprints, hurdles, jumps, and throws, and, and the first six years, it was just men only. And then we combined the program and uh, we didn't hire another full-time assistant coach. There was always just three of us doing men and women when I was there. Jeez, that's and, crazy. Uh, so we were really understaffed, but yep. um, I just learned a lot. So,
0: How'd you get into doing both? I mean... It may have been Mel's, Mel's way of thinking, but at the same time, how did you end up recruiting the sprints distances? I mean, we've all gone to track meets before where we're like, Hey, we're looking at that distance kid. And then, you know, Scott would call up and say, Hey, I got a, there's a, a thrower over here, a jumper. I want you to go take right. a look at it. Like that's easy stuff, but was it just something like that? Or was it like, no, we're literally recruiting the kids.
3: Yeah. We, it was like, that was an era where everybody recruited and everybody recruited all the event areas. There was not a lot of special specialization as there is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was like, I kind of came back from, I came from a track and field background, yep. you know, just like even when I coached at Clackamas, I recruited all the throwers and all the sprinters and all the hurdlers and all the jumpers. And, um, you know, and I love recruiting. And and then the idea of like, can I go out and get a, you know, one, you know like Pat Henry was at Blinn. You know, Dennis Shaver actually uh, was an assistant with us at Auburn for two years.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, um, you know, and Dennis was at Blinn, so you know I'm I'm flying from Atlanta to Wichita, jumping in a rental car and going to Blinn Junior College, and you know we brought in Julia Campbell, who was an end, you know she ran fifty point in the four hundred and yep. was seventh in the Olympic Games. Samuel Matete, who was oh, man. three-time world champion, mm-hmm. uh, you know from Blinn Junior College, that's where Steve Sylvie was, and and Dennis was actually at Barton, and. um, you know, so I, I really enjoyed that. to me, it was like a chess game. It was like, could I like recruit all the event areas and not just be labeled the distance coach who only does distance? But that was also Mel's philosophy. It was like we're you know we're all in this together. Yeah. And, um, so again, I go back to I was very lucky to have worked for Mel Rosen because he just had the mindset of like you you coach the distance, Kelly, but mm-hmm. you, you also. This is a track and field team and and we're all in on it. And I just absolutely love that. So Kelly,
2: you bring up, you bring up an interesting point, I think, because I know like with my, you know, being a head coach for almost 15 years now, like for me, I try to get my, I think, I think it prepares your assistant coaches to be head coaches uh, down the, down the line, you know? And so I always encourage my coaches to get involved with the other events And so like right now, my assistant, uh, who is primarily a cross country guy, he's at sprints practice and he's, he's working with sprinters. He's -hmm. learning some of the mechanical thing and he's a brilliant guy anyway, but like, I feel like you do yourself a disservice as a head coach. If you push your coaches in a corner and say, well, just do that. Don't do anything else. And, and I think it can hurt your team also, but I don't know if you experienced that, if that sets you up. Yeah, because I mean,
3: the very the very first meet that I had, Darren, when I was at Auburn, I was there about three weeks. And our first meet was at University of Mississippi in cross country, you know, and, and I'm still trying to get, I don't even know where the south is hardly, right? And, yep. and now all of a sudden I realize it's seven, eight hour van drive, you know, all the way to Oxford, oh. Mississippi. Okay. And Mel was like right in the passenger seat. And all the time that I worked for Mel Rosen, he went to every single cross-country meet. And and he was a head sprint coach. You know, he was a head hurdle coach. He was like, but if we were leaving on a Friday at eight o'clock in the morning, Mel was in the van at eight o'clock in the morning with the cross country team. He says that they can't, they don't need to think the head coach doesn't care about them. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is he loved it. I mean, he coached cross country before he became the sprint coach at Auburn. And um, yeah, so I was just really lucky that he's he was my you know, I basically modeled everything based off of him. So when I became the head coach at Willamette and started hiring assistants there, it was exactly the same thing. And, um, you know, Matt, you know, Lane Anderson was a graduate assistant of mine at at Auburn and Rod Tip from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rod Tiffin is at, you know, at Sanford, Sanford yeah. athletes and,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and he became an assistant with us and went with Harvey do Alabama. And, yep. um, you know, and, and all of those, all of those coaches, all of those people that we had involved with us, there's a lot of them at the collegiate level now, and they're, they're all invested in all the event areas. And it was mainly because of the fact is, is that, but to be honest with you, Darren, back in those days, like my college coach at Willamette. I mean, he was the only full-time coach, you know. So he he coached all of us in cross, but he coached everybody in track and field. And um, so I just didn't know any different. And fortunately, I didn't go somewhere where there was a separation. You know what I mean? I didn't go and yep. work for someone that was like the head coach was Mel Rose. I mean, Mel had already made a phenomenal reputation with all the Olympians and gold medalists he'd already coached, right? Yep. And the sprints and hurdles, but Mel was like. He was a track and field coach, and that was just fantastic. So,
0: that was always the best thing. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, my college coach Larry Resort could do the same thing where yes. he'd send us off on a run, but then you'd see him over there raking the pit on one thing or he'd be on the shot put going that. Yeah. Scott, you know that he he was everywhere. Even with you guys, were indoors. He was every single place. What it was, uh, I got to ask a question: would, would Mel come to cross country
3: practices in the morning by chance, or whenever oh, you guys yeah. practice?
0: Yeah,
4: was out
3: there? oh yeah, Mel would like why Kelly, why you got him doing that? You know, I mean, he's the funniest human being in the whole wide world. You know, if he hadn't been a head coach, you, he Johnny Carson would have never been, his, it would have never been heard of. I he was oh, one of the funniest people on this mm-hmm. planet and um, he'd always go, damn, Kelly, you know, why, why are you doing that? You know, or what, what happened to this guy and da, 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 the whole thing. And it was just, yeah. I mean, he was such a blessing and mm-hmm. you know, the, the impact he left, on so many people um to this day is mm-hmm. i mean it's been incredible so
0: no there's no question about it and that's one of the, that's one of the things i think a lot of coaches forget about is you know and we love it i know my girls here have done the same have seen it before but like they love it when the head track coach they don't like it when he comes to just or he or she excuse me right. comes to just the conference championships because they're like because then they because you guys all know this you look at the distance kids they're going oh well, the administrators here and the head coaches here, like, and then there's track coach and the cross coach, and they kind of don't know how to interact with those guys because they never see them at all, right. no matter what's going on. And it can just cause issues and cause problems and not problems just cause issues because just makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable because then there's a little more pressure that the coaches, the coach and the administrator aren't trying to put on. They just want to be there for the championship. But I always yeah. tell them like, come to a practice, come to the different meets. Don't just show up when you have a home meet or something, show up to some of the other things and, and show you actually care about what's going on. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I think that's an important piece of advice, um, for any coach out there that's listening that, you know, is a head coach or wants to be a head coach, like touch base with your people, you know, touch base with your student athletes. And it's, it's hard because, you know, like we have 80, 85 student athletes and, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're spread out throughout the day, but you know, when you get a chance to see them and interact, Hey, how you doing? How's your family? How's, how's mom doing? Like, I think those things go a long way because when you get into the meat and when the pressure's on, these kids already know that you have their back yep. Right. Yep. O- outside of things. So I think it relieves a little bit of pressure. They can have some fun and go compete. So I think you guys bring up a great, great learning point there.
0: So if we if we go to the learning points and that kind of stuff, and we roll into it, and we go, you know, you had to come back for family reasons, come back to the West Coast, you are at Willamette for a long time, and then you get to go up to Oregon State. I'm going to breeze over Willamette a little bit, even though I believe, was that when you're into Nick Simmons? Am I correct on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So get to so actually briefly, let's pause on that. How was how was coaching Nick Simmons? Because he's been a, a loud vocal gentleman. He's done some incredible things. He's done a lot for the sport. Really, I, I think in my mind, how was it coaching Nick?
3: Well, it's probably more just. How is it knowing Nick as long as I've known him? Um, okay, yeah, because uh, you know Nick and I are really, really close, you know, to this day. Mm-hmm. And he, um, the thing about him was, is like his high school coach, Tom Shanahan. I've known Tom a long time. Um, if you listen to anything that Nick puts out there, he's he's extremely loyal to people, um, and you know, it's, I'm really, really, I'm as proud of him as who he is as a person and who he's has become. And, you know, he's an advocate for so many things. And, you know, he was even as a 18, 19 year old. um, And, you know, he was as a professional athlete, he wasn't afraid to stand up and say something if he thought something wasn't right and Uh uh, and then to see the transition that he's made now after a professional career that took up a lot of his life Uh i mean he came to willamette university to become a doctor i mean he was a biochemistry major and geez
0: didn't
3: know that yeah yeah that was his goal and that's what he was going to do and then um but now to see what he's doing you know with run gum and um you know his best friend in the world was one of my assistant coaches, uh Sam LaPrey,
4: mm-hmm.
3: And you know, they Sam mentored Nick a lot. And um, you know, Sam LaPrey probably has as much credit, deserved credit as anyone of, you know, what Nick's career, even at Willamette, was and post-collegiate wise. Gaggling Frank, when when Gags got the job in Eugene with that nike club i mean i was just thrilled because you know nick had just graduated from willamette and i was going to sign a contract and i'd known frank from georgetown of course all those years and and and, you know frank and i were really good friends and we are to this day and you know nick just happened to i mean frank showing up in eugene right when nick was graduating you know nike took supposedly a you know a, a big risk on a kid who was from a d3 school and Signed him, and he couldn't have ended up with a better coach, you know those years. And then Mark Rowland, after Frank, you know, retired, and Mm -hmm. um, you know, so Nick has had, Nick has had some great people in his life, but um, Nick has also been a great person to coach. I mean, he's just, he's listened to a lot of different people. You know, he had a great high school coach. He had myself at first, along with Matt McGuirk, who did a great job with him at Willamette, and then sam and and then frank and and mark and then he went with brooks for a couple years and Mm -hmm. danny did a great job with him and um you know he was a pleasure to be around and you know he is to this day so that's sometimes the
0: best things and again it's a perfect storm for nick to be able to have you know Mm -hmm. gags come in right there and go from great coach to great coach boom boom not much you know from the sounds of it again he's going to speak what it is and but you look at it he's going to speak it but at the same time he's going to respect it as well and right. I think that's where a lot of kids forget: is they speak and then go, oh, but I but I have to respect it. Like yes, you have to respect it if you're going to be speaking up that loud. You've got to respect the viewpoint of whoever else is coming afterwards. Yeah, you know, uh, Nick's done an incredible job. You're, you're no no joke about that. The advocacy he's done for the sport, run gun, what he's done for that has been just up and down. It's been great, um, yeah. but it's just something that's that's always. Interesting. Um, we had to do a little bit of it when I was at Bradley to bring back the track and field programs themselves, the men's program, because we didn't have indoors or outdoors or when they across country. Um, but something you did. So you started Oregon, like you brought Oregon State back from from scratch, correct? I mean, mm-hmm. there was nothing there. There was no nothing. As you said, you had what took seven, eight, nine years, 10 years to, to fundraise $10 million for the track and field facility about that. Um, you go up to Oregon State, you sit down your first day on the job. What are you, what are you thinking? What are you going? Are you going, Oh my goodness. What I get myself into? You go, okay, where's the, where's the first shovel going in the ground or like, where's that first phone call going to make? What what was the first thing you were thinking about? Do you remember?
3: Um, Well, I I took the job in, in right after Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I showed up at, in Corvallis in January. And um, I walked into a room that I don't know what they use a room for, um, but it had a metal desk. I think it was a graduate assistant's, office for um, academics, and um, it was gray, and and I was all by myself. I mean, it was like there was nobody there, you know, and it was the middle of the school year, so everything was rolling, yep. so, that, you know, they gave me keys, and I walk in, and I'm like, you know, how do you use this phone, you know, who do I talk to, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, you know, it literally was, you know, I had to have a cross-country team ready for September 1st. And this was January and I, the job description originally was no scholarships for the first three years, but in the interview, I told Bob, I said, first of all, I had a great job at Willamette, right? Um, I mean, that track track team that I left that spring got third at the division three nationals. So, you know, Nick, Nick was a big part of all of that, but the, you know, we also had a lot of other athletes. We had over 120 kids on our track team at Willamette when I left. For Division Three school, that's a lot of humans. Yeah, and um, so I had a great job. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was back, and, and I had done Division One, and I really didn't have to do it again. Um, but I had told Bob Carlos, I said, "You got to give me at least one scholarship, because there's a girl ten miles down the road from Corvallis that hadn't signed early, and um, I need to be able to offer her a scholarship." and have her turn it down. Because there was no way she was gonna take it. Because the rumors, the rumors out there was is that it was, Oregon State was doing this for Title IX and gender equity and that was it. Yep. And um, I said, I gotta be able to make this girl an offer. So she'll turn us down before she signs the scholarship with Oregon. And so he gave me one in-state full tuition scholarship. and um, And so, we I literally we literally advertised in the school newspaper. Basically, if you could run and chew gum at the same time, come to these three different meetings, and so we had um, basically a team of. I got I did sign one really good girl in state that I hadn't signed. Um, with part of that money. And then the rest of it was just all walk on girls that were current students at Oregon State.
0: Okay. So, wait, did the girl that you had asked, you're sitting in the near U4 saying, hey, I need that scholarship for her, did she turn it down and go to Oregon, just like you thought? Yeah. She signed it. Okay. <laughs>
3: yeah. And it was <laughs> like funny because I, when, I, when I called her high school coach who I'd known for years, he was actually an Oregon State grad and he was actually a great runner at Oregon State and um and i called him he goes what are they doing and i said i won't am calling because i need the, the phone number of your young lady because i want to offer her a full scholarship and he goes what and i was like yeah and he goes well, i thought they didn't have any money and i said well they didn't but they gave me one and i basically i told my god i gotta offer it to your girl and he laughed and he goes wait well, no she's not going to come and i go well yeah but at least the rumors will die Right. True. And, uh, very, smart. You know, yeah, very The word true. will be out that Oregon State offered me a full ride, and I, maybe she got more money from Oregon after I gave her a full ride. I, I've never asked Tom Heinonen for sure, but I'm sure Tom had to. Tom probably, um, Tom probably like didn't like the fact that I did offer a full. But uh, yeah, so that's how we started the program. Um, literally found a girl, a young lady. Mm-hmm. One day when I was leaving campus, I was driving out, it was like April and I saw a young lady running with, uh, they had a, a 10K fitness class, I saw her run, I made a note, I called and found out who she was, got, her, got a hold of her, brought her in, um, found out she was a really good runner in the state of Oregon, but I had chosen not to run in college and Oregon State was the safest place to go to because they didn't have her program. Okay. And I convinced her to come out. And two years later, she got fifth in the Pac-10 and the 10K. Jeez. So we we found some diamonds in the rough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then Rhonda Riley, who's a coach at Duke. At Duke, yep, yep. She was my first volunteer. There you go. She's the first volunteer. Yeah. We're coming We're
2: coming full circle. Actually. We've had her on the podcast yeah. too early on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. So Rhonda started with me. Um, and she worked at a local coffee shop. And she had heard about the program, and um, I used to go into going to coffee where she worked at, and um, she asked me if she if I needed any help, and she had never run in college, yep, uh, know at all, mm-hmm. and she was just graduating from Oregon State that year, and um, long story short, after about three months, she'd always try to give me free coffee, and I'd always say, Rhonda, you can't give me free coffee, and uh, um, but one of the smartest things I ever did, right? And I brought her in my first assistant and then she ended up uh, a year later getting, um, a graduate assistant position at Arizona state. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, great craft was at South Carolina when I was at Auburn and, yeah. and, um, I had heard that they were looking for a GA and I said, Hey, I got a young lady. She's, she's, you know, as, um, she had the good thing with her was she had no opinions cause she never ran. Mm-hmm. She was a sponge. Yes. so she went down there for two years with arizona state worked for louie mm-hmm. and, um, and then got got a job with steve keith who's a really close friend of mine at vanderbilt Yep, great guy great guy mm-hmm. yeah so so she was a part of the very very first first program
0: So did you get a chance to after the first year did you get a chance to get rid of that that uh, that metal desk
3: yeah yeah i got a friend of mine it actually we paid him i think a hundred dollars to come in and paint my office <laughs> orange and um yeah yeah, but it was a great, I loved my time at Oregon State. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah. What was what was some of the keys that you did? Cause I mean, if you had, if you can start a program up uh, in my mind, if you're gonna start something up you've got to start, you start from <clears throat> the ground but then you start with the community first. And you've got to reach yeah. out to the community, the running stores, the high schools, all that kind of stuff, what's going on. Uh, I remember when we went to Bradley and Burns and A, at Bradley. Um, that was the first thing we did. We found the running store, we found the running guys. We were at every single road race. We were just trying right. to make friends with everybody because to build it up, to go from, I mean, nothing to something you have to do that kind of stuff and especially with a track like uh, was that the first thing you do is i'm going to take communities in high schools because you had the connect some of the a lot of the connections so you're right finding that high school saying hey i've got money i just offered it and then that changed the narrative because that coach is going to go tell everybody else like no there's scholarship money right like was that the first thing you did and then uh follow up to that of course you start building the you start looking into the track how fast with creating a track or was there was there no track
3: well originally there was no plans to build a track and after about two years there, we were trying to, um, use, you know, use time over at Corvallis high school. And that I found out lacrosse balls are really dangerous and, you know, they could kill you. Mm-hmm. And so we had some practices where lacrosse balls were flying everywhere. And I went into, it was, I think it was like five o'clock at night. I finally went into Bob McCarroll's office. He happened to be there at the AD, and I said, Bob, so we're going to get, I'm going to get a kid killed and so long story short i mean he there was no plan on building a track after two years of being there i was like you know this program is never going to exist without a track or it's not going to go anywhere and um so we kept pushing the idea and um it was a fun process of at some point i'd love to be able to tell people the whole story on how we raised all the money and how we went from the idea of just a practice track to nine lanes and all the bells and whistles and how all of a sudden the facility went from a $1 million uh, potential to getting $10 million. Um, Because I also realized if we did eight lanes with barbed wire fence and metal bleachers, Mm -hmm. I would get laughed at for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Because you're almost better off not even building something if you're gonna do that, especially if the local high high school track and stadium is gonna be better than yours. Mm-hmm. So it took it took a lot of convincing, a lot of hard work and um, some um, incredible donors that stepped up out of nowhere um, to help us get it done. So, yeah,
0: that's amazing. Like, yeah, if you're going to do it and you have chances are you're going to have one chance to do it right. You to do it right. right. You know? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I remember when we got here at UAB, true story, we actually had a, a 200 meter square uphill track. Right. And, uh, and from point to point, everybody doesn't believe it. Go to Google I really Maps. I remember seeing that. Have you seen yeah.
3: that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. If you go to the Google Maps right now and you go look at the train version, not the satellite, but the train version, and look right next to the arena. There's yeah. something that looks like a square on there. And that mm-hmm. is where it was, where football facility is. Now you put the satellite back on and you see the, you know, beautiful eight lane, you know, 20, you know, uh, what Mondo Super X 720 track that UAB right. has. So it's come a long way. But that was when I first got here, that was the track square and uphill. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, how did you, like, what did you do to get some of that $10 million? What what was it just, again, relationships or how, how did, how did you get that? It was relationships.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was definitely, we also had like a gentleman like fall out of the sky. Um, the stadium is named the white track and field Mm -hmm. center. And we had an alum that just happened to bounce into my office one day and, <clears throat> he came in and asked me, you know, if I was a track coach, and I said, yeah. And we talked for about forty-five minutes. I gave him a T-shirt and a hat, and mm-hmm. I had no idea the university had recruited him and his wife there for the weekend for the College of Business.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: i to raise millions of dollars to build a new business school. And the next day, they went to the president's suite, and they were both. Him and his wife were both wearing our track hats, and. Everything, and, and he looked around. there was all these pictures of all these different designs of new buildings and all that. And he had seen the drawings of the track uh, plans in of my office. and mm-hmm. he asked the president. he said, "How come there's not a picture of the track facility plans in here I was with the coach yesterday and and um, and uh, they didn't know how to respond to it. And so he decided to take his gift thoughts and and head towards us with it instead. And, um, and it was all by accident that I met him all by accident. That's the, but that's the, yeah, that's amazing the best stuff right there. Yeah. yeah it like the, became one of the biggest stories in our department. It was like when they did fundraising things, they'd always say all you need is a, is a hat and a t-shirt. And, mm-hmm. uh, cause that was really what it was, but I, we spent 45 minutes together and just had a great talk. It was on a late Friday afternoon and,
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and I just happened to be in the office and, and, um, and we just hit it off and they helped us with the initial gifts. And once we got the initial gifts the Dick Fosbury's of the world and all those alums helped a lot too. And um, then we also got a bunch of football players out. I don't know if, if you guys remember back, but. I do um, remember this a little bit, but yeah, please. Yeah. We, we found a loophole in the rule back then.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
3: you know, we had a young guy by the name of Jordan Bishop that actually scored at the NSA's in the high jump. And, you know, Brandon Cooks who's in the NFL and Marcus yep, is in. In mm-hmm. NFL and, we had all those guys running, and we put a four by one men's relay together one year at the Pac-10 meet or Pac-12 meet. They made the final, and in Eugene, which was really cool, and and that helped us raise millions of dollars because we got a lot of former men's um, alums who all of a sudden really got on board too. So,
0: it also sounds like that's one of the amazing things about it. Uh... I know at Earl School Bradley, there's a gentleman by the name of Steve Vollmer that is still helping out. And we did that one of those things. We had a recruiting weekend. Didn't know the guy. He was a grad at Bradley from 93 to 94. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burns and I happen to be in the office or in the hotel. We were picking up our recruits that morning. You have some breakfast with him. He comes out. Right. He's like, oh, you guys are the coaches. Like, yeah. And to this day, we still talk probably once a month. He okay. sends money down to both programs. And, and he is always one of those great guys. Yeah. Um, and again, the one thing we always had, though, was a hat and a T-shirt. And yeah. whenever we order new hats, we always had, you know, an extra 20, 30 hats because we knew somebody yeah. was gonna want one. Everybody wants a t-shirt and a polo. So and you oh, need yeah. to have those things. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like one of the biggest things, the more I'm listening to it, is even though you're probably told no it sometimes, you know, for some ideas and things like mm-hmm. that. Like, every every coach yeah. is you at least had support from uh, from Bob from the the athletic the athletic director. I don't want to screw his last name up, so I won't, um, but you had support from the athletic director It's like, hey, let's mess. Nest- let's at least do something relevant. Let's not mm-hmm. do something that's just, hey, we're going to start out here and go from there. Was, we need to be relevant, but we're going to give you a time and a leash. Uh, and for a lot of programs and a lot of people and coaches, they're almost scared of their administrators. So was it, right. again, a relationship right there? Or how did, what did you do with the, to make that kind of- Yeah, really to be helpful? honest with
3: you, the reason I took the job at Oregon State was because of Bob DeCarreless. I mean, when I first met, Bob came from Michigan. So okay. him, Ron Warhurst. Oh, yeah. and um, McGuire was first time. And, and, and Gary were just very close friends. And Bob had um, Bob had a vision. Uh-huh. You know, when they, when they were going to add a, a women's sport at Oregon State, the easiest thing they could have done was added women's tennis because they had just built a brand-new indoor tennis and outdoor tennis facility. Uh-huh. And most of the schools in the Pac-12 conference had women's tennis. Oregon State was one of the only ones that didn't. But Bob when he got there as an athletic director, he didn't realize Oregon State had dropped men and women's track and field oh, okay. back in 1988. Okay. And when he got there, he was like, well, what do you mean? This is mm-hmm. where Dick Bosberry went and all these other people. And so, and he had a, when the, the NCAA indoor meet used to be in Detroit. And okay. when it was in Detroit, back in those days, University of Michigan, Michigan States co-sponsored the indoor meet. So they saw all the Michigan and, uh, people would go down to Detroit and help put the indoor meet on every year. So, um, and Ron Morris and and Bob were really close friends. And so Bob, he, he decided if he didn't, the window was the door had a little bit of a crack that he could convince people to bring back the women's distance program. And that might be enough to then get a men's program and a full women's program back someday. And, um, And when I heard his explanation in person when I went there, um, I was like, I remember leaving the interview that day and I go, you know, I could work for that guy. And even though the job was not on paper, was not a good decision Mm -hmm. or a good choice in some ways, um, I was driven. I was an Oregonian. Most of my family had graduated from Oregon State. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and, and give this a shot. And then once I got there and I realized we can't do it without a track, I had to convince Bob. But we also had President Ed Ray, who came from Ohio State. <clears throat> he believed in it. And then we had a football coach by the name of Mike Riley who gave me a dozen football players. And every, every year once we got the thing going and Mike helped immensely by allowing us to have all these football football guys come out because the cameras and the newspapers were all over those guys because they were all great athletes. I mean, mm-hmm. Marcus had run 46-something in high school in the quarter. Brandon That's Cooks true. was a 46-second mm-hmm. quarter minor out of high school. Um, Obun Gwachim went, you know, we had two wide receivers go 7-2 in the high jump at Oregon State. And there, so we had a bunch of Division one football players that were Division one track kids. Yeah. And they loved track, and they all wanted to do track. And Mike Riley was said, "Kelly, they're all yours." And um, they 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 got us a ton of press, and that ton of press added up to millions and millions of dollars in donations. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was a perfect storm. You know, you don't rarely do you get a president, and an athletic director, and a head football coach. <laughs> yeah, all three of <laughs> like them. That. There's no way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and if without them, we could have never done it. I mean, there's no absolutely. No.
2: So Kelly, I've got a couple of questions. I've got they're they're kind of loaded questions. I'll ask one okay. and then I'll follow up with another. But uh, you know, your your impact in this sport has been huge, uh, whether you admit it or not. And I think you know the person that you are and the coach that you are has uh, uh, impacted people's lives. And obviously, like you talked about, you have a lot of uh, former athletes or former coaches that have gone on to do great things, um, been great coaches. Uh, and, and I, I'm just curious, like, kind of like, how did you get there as a, as a person, as a coach, who's pushed you to be who you are and what makes you tick?
3: Wow. That's a good, I've never been asked that question. It'd it be my parents. Um, both my parents were orphaned, um, you know, they're Irish immigrants, um, you know they're very blue collar. They my dad had like a sixth grade education. Darren, you know, I mean, ironically, my grandparents on my dad's side um, died in the flu epidemic in 1918. Mm. So wow. this whole pandemic year
4: mm-hmm. has been
3: really interesting for our family because sure, yeah all grew, yeah because when we all grew up we'd all heard the stories right and um, and then my mom you know was was also an orphan. Um, and they were, they were in Butte, Montana, you know, coal mine or not coal miners, but um, copper miners. And, you know, so I think, and then I have two, I had two older, my oldest brother was 20. My other brother was 19 when I was born and my sister was seven. So I had three older siblings that were really great role models for me too. Uh, My two older brothers, you know, of course were older. So they, they came around and knew a lot of the history of our parents in their forties and you know, in fifties and all that, and um, so I think that had a lot to do. And then my high, you know, to be honest with you, my high school coaches and my college coaches. <laughs> I mean, I had, you know, I got kind of talked into doing track and cross country in high school, and um, you know, I just to be honest with you, Darren, I, you know, I've just been very lucky. You know, I had interesting parents, um, great, great story there. And you know, great high school coaches. Obviously, my college coach at Clackamas, for whatever reason, hired me to be an assistant when I was twenty-three. You know, my college coach at Willamette, Chuck Bowles, was Bowerman's freshman coach for six years. You know, so uh, uh, Chuck Bowles was a very knowledgeable human being. And then I ended up at a place like Auburn University with Mel Rosen. Mm -hmm. You know,
2: I I, here's here's my thing about you know, I, I. I look at you and I look at, you know, just, I mean, the impact you've even made on me, the time that I've spent with you. And and I think you're an incredibly humble person. Um, obviously here in your background, I think uh, that makes total sense. And, and I think that makes such a huge impact on people and, and the people that you're around. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you're lucky.
4: Hmm.
2: You know what I mean? I mean, that, that to me, it, it's, it's about, uh, and this is for all coaches, it's about the person that you are, right? And and ultimately, when you have success, it's a byproduct of being being that person, you know. So I I just I love to hear the backstory on you know why coaches do what they do, and and I think it's just incredible um, to have bumped into you at this stage in my career where I'm you know I'm still a young coach and I'm still learning a lot, and um, so it's really been a pleasure. Uh, but my follow-up question is, is also a loaded question, but, uh, what, what does the sport of track and field mean to you and the profession of coaching?
3: Um, yeah, that's, that's another, another loaded question. Um, well, it means a lot, obviously. I mean, I've been doing it for almost 40 years and you know, the cool thing is, I've been very, very lucky. I I have gotten, I've had the opportunity to coach at the junior college level. Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to coach in the SEC, mm-hmm. but then I got to coach Division three. Yeah, I actually, coached NEIA also because my first two years at Willamette, they were still NEIA. Oh, that's right. Um, so the only level I haven't coached is high school and Division two, um, and then you know to go into the Pac twelve. And a really unique situation, right? Mm-hmm. At Oregon State. And now I a small private Catholic, you know, Jesuit Catholic University up in Seattle. Um, I mean, you can't have those opportunities, Darren, and not feel incredibly fortunate because the opportunities have occurred because of what? The the business I'm in. And then along the line, you know, my mentors outside of Mel Rosen were Roy Griak at Minnesota, Harry Groves at Penn State, you know, Joe V. Hill at Adams State, mm-hmm. Ron Mann at, was at Northern Arizona, you know, Chick Hislip, um, you know, from Weber State. Jeez. I mean, those were the men. I worked with USA Track and Field for 16 years in men's development. And um, you know, we were all a part of men's development together, all of us. Jeez. Dr. David Martin, you know, probably one of the most highly respected and intelligent exercise you know physiologists in our sport and um you know so i mean this sport i i owe everything you know to this profession i've been in and and then of course and the most important thing is all the thousands of student athletes i don't know how many student athletes i've been around right and all of those people it's it's a lot and they they a lot of them are still a huge part of my life um to this day so
0: so when you build the programs, you go from place to place, I and mean, you said at Willamette, there's about 120 kids, which is, I mean, an astronomical number, especially in today's world of having those that many kids on a track and field team in college, of course, and Daniel D3 numbers tend to be a little bigger, tend to be more uh, enrollment driven, uh, tend to be. Not all the schools, I, I don't agree with the argument that D1 doesn't have that same, same uh, mentality, but at the same time. Uh, you've been successful. You've had success every single place that you've gone, and you've done a great job. Again, as Darren said, developing kids, developing relationships. What's what's kind of been the um, you may have learned it from Mel, or where did you learn it from? Or has been the values that you've taken from program to program? Because uh, you start a couple programs and build programs up. I mean, you've, again, you leave Willamette, you're third in the country uh, when they leave that that spring, and then you come to Oregon State and got to start all over. What were some of the values that either that you have, or that you at least have uh, tried to instill in the kids that you're, you're teaching and you 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 know, you're educating and mentoring at the same time.
3: Um, you know, I think probably the biggest thing when especially you look back on things, you you learn a lot from the mistakes that you make. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: You know, and I think that's probably the thing that I've I've probably learned the most over time is is that, you know, the mistakes that you make, you know, you can't you can't ignore them and you know, whatever they are, and then you've got to learn from From them. I mean, the successes automatically you learn from the successes, right? I mean, the success usually means okay, you dotted the I, you crossed the T, you know, you took step one and and they came up with it. But I think the biggest thing I've learned over the years is just, you know, how do you learn from the mistakes that you make? Mm -hmm. And um, the mistakes have always been the thing that I've had to like look at myself in the mirror sometimes and say, okay, you got to take responsibility for that, you know? And um, and I think if nothing else, that's probably, um, helped me the most. And, um, and it's, it humbles you and mm-hmm. puts you in, <clears throat> in situations that I think, you know, that you got to look at it and you got to go, wow, you know, I, I don't want to ever do that again. I don't want to make that mistake again or whatever it is. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, and you just keep moving on. So, um, I think those are, that's probably one of the things that I've tried to like even even the the later years of my career is just is understanding that hey if you do make some mistakes along the line you got to take ownership of it and then but I think once you do that then your athletes also recognize that in you too you know and you got to know when it's time to say I'm sorry you know mm-hmm. it's no no times when you got to like you know leave your ego in the glove box and go you know what <clears throat> I got to own this um and I and if you know, and, and I'm not good at it to be honest with you. I mean, I'm like every other, are, are, any, the, of us, are yeah, any of us? I, I'm really like, good. Yeah. I'm like every other fool in the world. And, um, you know, and it was, you know, and, and to be honest with you, it was really cool to have my parents in their eighties, um, live with us for seven years because I, I got an education being around my parents and watching them, you know, own up to things in their life. And, you know, and, um, you know, and it was very, it was very personal, and we had opportunities to do that, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that too. So,
2: yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I'd, I'd also like you to speak to, uh, just like where you're at right now in your career. Um, you know, being at Seattle U, I've seen what you've done there; it's incredible. Um, like, yeah, just where are you at in your career and, and as a coach, as a person? Just curious.
3: Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question too. Um. It's been fun because you know when I got here it was it was pretty much a distance only program, right? And you know we have a two lane track. It's 444 meters around, um, so it has a common finish line. So every every start of every um, repeat that you want to do has a different starting line. So it's actually <laughs> really 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 cool. Uh, um, cool. The athletes really like it. I mean, when you do workouts on it, you know they have to move the different lines to start every repeat mm-hmm. so it doesn't get boring and we're right in the middle of the city yeah. you know so at the south end of our track you can see mount rainier and it's oh, geez, stunning. beautiful and at nights we have <laughs> lights so at nights when it gets dark when you turn the lights on you got the whole skyline of seattle right behind you bring uh, capitol hill you know it's where jimi hendrix was was raised and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of history in the middle of capitol hill um, but what we've done is I had a great assistant, Darren, you know, this, um, and Chad Ferris and my, one of my biggest steps right off the bat was I watched in my first year and I was like, man, dude, I gotta give him at least half this program. And, you know, so we have gone out and recruited sprinters, hurdlers, jumpers, and throwers, and, you know, we become a full track and the only event we will not do is a pole vault cause we just don't have access but um so we've created a sprint hurdle relay middle distance you know multi-event track and field program um because I, I got really tired going to meets in my first few years at oregon state when we we're only distance and it was only women you know and i could i could literally i can also say admit i did this i went to a meet once and i put all my women in the 1500. they all ran the 1500s and um, coaches from other schools, they all of a sudden I'd waved goodbye and i like, well, where are you going? I said, well, we're done. And yep. you know, they yep. ran it, they ran at one o'clock and by two 30, we were out, we were out the door and leaving. And I, you know, I kind of laughed about it, but I didn't like it. And, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, so we've, we've created a full program here and I'm really, really proud of that. And we're going to host the, the, our conference outdoor meet next spring. We're renting the facility from the University of Washington. Um, It'll be probably the first, it's the first time ever that Seattle University is gonna host uh, an outdoor conference meet and, uh, you know, and and we're gonna have every event filled except for the pole vault. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, once I leave here and move on and, you know, and whenever that happens, you know, my goal was to have this program, you know, be a full track and field program and, You know, and Darren, you agree. I mean, I mean, there's nothing more fun to work in a situation with spinners, hurdlers, jumpers and throwers, you know, men and women. And I love the diversity in the, in the personalities. And, and, uh, so that's, that's where we're at right now in Seattle. So.
2: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead here with a with a fun little question, of course, and uh, for you for work, both of us, you know, late thirties guys, Darren and I, uh, and uh, even Scott, you know, with all three of us a little in the younger side with that. Uh, what's the what's the advice you give the younger coaches? Not only the ones you know like us that have been around a little bit, actually been you know involved in the, the association, the executive committees, and done that kind of stuff, but and even even the advice could could be to us, or at the same time, it could be to the ones that are. 23, 24, 25, actually the uh, free coffee, Rhonda Riley's, you know, trying to give you a free coffee every time you come in. Like what kind, what advice would you give to those people getting into the profession? Or would you say actually, uh, as, as my, as was or would say, get the hell out.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to be honest with you, I, yeah. I tell people all the time, don't be afraid to get into this profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like number one is and number two is, is, you know, I, I, you know, I, I went to a small high school, Yep. I went to a junior college in Oregon. I went to an NAI school in, at Willamette. And I had a vision in my head one day that I wanted to be a college coach. And I didn't run at Oregon. I didn't run at Oregon State. I didn't run at Arkansas, whatever it was. I mean, I had a teammate of mine on the track team who played football, too. And he said, he goes, yeah. he goes, you can't you can't coach college, you know, and you got to do high school first. And I was like, well, no, I I think I can Mm-hmm. So, anybody who's out there who has a passion and a desire to do this, um, you know, Rhonda, Rhonda Riley is about as good of an example as there is in the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, she walked into my office. Mm-hmm. The meetings were set up for potential runners. She came into the office, sat down. It was all potential runners. And I came to her and I said, So, what's your name, Rhonda Riley? Tell me about your running back. Well, I'm not here to run. I'm coming. I meant this meeting because. I want to know, find out if you need a volunteer. And I remember looking at her and I go, well, that's not what this meeting's about. You know, and I embarrassed the heck out of her. And I said, this meeting is for people. And then she said, well, I'm graduating this year. And I said, well, then, then leave your name and number and mm-hmm. maybe we can talk later. You know, and but she came right back at me. Yeah. You know, and so I think the biggest thing is you you can't. You know, there's a lot of people who say, well, you can't do it or whatever. You know, it's just that's it's absolutely not the truth. And, um, you know, I, I think if you got to it's like anything in life. I mean, if you have a dream and a goal of doing something, um, but you got to do it right. You got to do it correctly. And you got to be a product that people can't afford not to have you. Mm mm-hmm. That's a.
0: Actually, I think you just hit it nail on the head. Yeah, you have to be a product that people can't afford not to have you. No yeah. questions about it.
3: Yeah, I mean that's literally what I just read Pat Henry's history, a great article yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, his beginning, how he started, and you know, and and Pat's Pat's the same guy today mm-hmm. that I met oh. thirty five years ago. Jeez. I mean, that guy has not changed you know, one bit, his personality, Mm -hmm. all the national titles He is the same human being that he was 35 years ago. And, you know, he's a giver, not a taker. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's, that's a big, a big part of it. But like, again, I say, you know, we're all going to make mistakes Mm -hmm. in life. We're going to make mistakes as friends, as parents, as siblings, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, and you can't like, get down on yourself or you can't like uh, you know if you have a team and your team should win and it doesn't you know you you gotta mel used to always say you got 10 minutes to feel sorry for yourself and then you got to move on you know and and you got to just own it and you move on and you make everybody happy around you, and then you just move on to the next day so
0: man i absolutely love it uh, I think I could probably actually go on this for, for a lot more time, a, lo- a lot longer what it is. But, you know, in respect of everybody's time, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here a little bit. But, uh, Coach, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you for the absolutely incredible lessons. No questions about it. Again, thanks for coming straight from practice. I know you're hauling hauling to get over. here. got a little bit early, which is a great thing. But thank you for, again, some incredible lessons right there. That last little bit about being the product that nobody can forget is, is one of the best pieces of advice I've actually ever heard. Uh, and it means a lot.
3: So thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Matt, good luck with you. And Darren, we'll see you. Uh, our outdoor conference meet is hosted down in in uh, your neck of the woods. So I look forward to seeing you.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll see you very soon. And, and thanks so much, Kelly, for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, no, you're very welcome.
3: You guys Thank have you, a sir. great
2: week. You too. All right. Take care.
0: Wow, man. I tell you what, that was a conversation right there. No questions about it. That was some incredible lessons learned. And I believe when you sit down with a legend like Kelly Sullivan, you cannot help walk away with being impressed and at the same time inspired about the whole coaching profession and why we get into this coaching world as crazy as it is and as cut through it as it can be. Um, and I call Kelly a, a legend and I agree hundred percent when Darren said this a legend it doesn't have to be somebody with all the accolades sometimes it could be somebody who has made that big of an impact on everybody else's lives and i believe that's exactly what kelly has done uh with especially the group of people that he has and the people that he knows there's no questions about that but i loved i can. how could you not love the way that he recruited himself to the university of or to auburn university uh essentially writing a letter saying hey by the way i recruited these guys uh and i beat you to it so you should probably hire me as your coach like, that is awesome that is gutsy but that is a great thing to do it I love the emphasis that he puts on relationships because as we all know in this world two most important things are the books you read and the people you meet and also how you get those relationships rocking and rolling and the one of my favorite things in all the world was hearing his story of the hat and the t-shirt because of how far just a small gesture like that can go and how, how it made such a huge impact especially in the Oregon State track and field team, uh, which some of the kids today may not even know. So, But uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for pulling a chair up to the table with us, and thank you for making one of the best running podcasts in the country week in and week out. We could not do this without you, no doubt about it. If there's something you like, you don't like, please let us know. Shoot us a DM, You know, go ahead and tweet at us, whatever you'd like to do, shoot us an email, whatever the case might be. It'd be incredible to hear from you. Rate us five stars, of course, on iTunes uh, and on Spotify. Go ahead and download us and then share us. But uh, it, once again, we'll be taking a week off. April fourth, we'll be rock and rolling again. But it was so great to have you guys here, and we look forward to doing again better next time. Thank you.